Welcome to another edition of First Word from First Church. This is Pastor Dave Buchanan at the First Church in Sutton. Please enjoy the message and may God bless you richly through it. The first scripture lesson is from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your mother and father that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The next reading is from Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This ends our reading. We praise God for his holy word. Thank you, Donna. Couple of ways for a preacher to look at the Ten Commandments. I've either got ten Sundays worth of material to go with, or I get real ambitious, and no, that doesn't mean long, just ambitious, of looking at them as a package, and I, I the, the youngsters gave them a wonderful help at kind of leading into that as to what they mean kind of as a whole. Ten Commandments are kind of the heart of the law, aren't they? In uh, Greek or, or old fancy Greek English are called the Decalogue. I won't try to pronounce the Hebrew, but it just means the ten words. The ten words of God. And they are so ingrained or should be 
our culture and way of life there on the Supreme Court of the United States building and an awful lot of other courthouses in the country as a reminder, if not inscribed word for word in our law, but as a model, as an example of Moses. And Moses is called the law giver. I'll call him the law bearer. God gave it. Moses bore it to the people. If you remember in his human anger, it took him two tries up the mountain to get the tablets back down intact. Um, bad joke, though. Moses was the first one to go up the mountain to download from the cloud to tablets. <laughs> I know. There are two schools of thought about jokes and sermons. One is it gets people awake and attentive. The other one is never attempt it because they don't come out right. You judge, just don't tell me. I wanted to look at them as a package because of what you heard me tell the youngsters. God has the first three commandments about how we are to regard God. And I think it's logical. God's giving the commandments. They aren't suggestions. They aren't margins. They're rules. They're orders. And I don't think it's unfair of God to start with himself because he's God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm reminding you because you people remember this that he's speaking to. I brought you out of slavery. And the subtext might be quit your belly aching because they kept complaining to Moses about it. You shall have no other gods before me. Oh, pastor, that's easy. We've only got one God. We only acknowledge one. Well, I've had people try to tell me that all religions of the world are equally valid and equally valuable. Ask me sometime why Christ's death was necessary if that's so. I don't believe it. You shall have no other gods before me. Another saying is, show me your checkbook and I'll show you what's important in your life. It isn't all measured by money. I might say, show me your, your Google calendar and where your time and what your time is spent on. And whether it's on prayer and, and God's word and, and attention to God or there are other things, what would you die for? What would you give up your honor for? And a bunch of men signed a paper that said, to this we pledge our, our, what is it, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, but that was to form a new country. How much more have people shed their lives as witnesses? Remember, martyr means witness in Greek, by the way. A martyr bears witness, not just death. One God. No other God, whether we realize it as a, a God spelled as such, or anything we would make more important in our lives than God. The second commandment kind of eases into that because the Egyptians had a, a kind of a wild and crazy mix of gods that the, the people had almost forgotten their Lord God in watching the worship of Amon and Ra and Anubis and Isis and all these other animal-headed humans. And they had some wild stories about where some of those gods came from too. I guess if you live on a Nile River in fear of crocodiles, it could warp your thinking a little bit. But not to make graven images. And they were going to a land where the Canaanites loved to have statues and graven images and do wild and crazy things in worship of these graven images that don't even bear polite telling from a pulpit. 
And that's the land they were headed for. He says, don't make images, don't make idols. Don't keep your little, little gods on the window ledge or in a cabinet in the kitchen as, as some of uh, Jacob's in-laws were known to do years before Moses. Don't worship things of this earth, physical things, more than you, than you serve God. I, I'm one of those knuckleheads that read Moby Dick more than once. It's a marathon read if you've ever read it. And there's a whole chapter by Ishmael, the narrator, of having a pagan roommate for a while on the island of Nantucket and him burning incense to a little wooden idol that he carried in his sea bag and put on the window ledge, burned incense to every night. And poor Ishmael was mightily puzzled by that. He didn't understand. But God says, and in this sense, God can say it. I'm a jealous God. I want you. I love you that much. I don't want you straying to something else. Stick with me, please. God says, I love you that much. The next one is all too easy in modern culture and language. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I should say easy to transgress. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. A friend of mine, we were, I was teaching at West Point, and a lady major who lived next door to us was teaching English, and her husband was an Anglican priest. So he usually had his collar on, and he went to the PX, which is a department store to normal people, getting some transaction fixed, and the woman got very frustrated with him. And she invoked that name J.C. good and hard in front of him, even with his collar on. And all he calmly said was, I don't think he has anything to do with this transaction. She got all red in the face and proceeded to get the transaction done just to get Father Coffee the heck out of her office. She wanted him gone. So the name of the Lord your God in vain. I don't do that, Pastor. Oh, no. I heard a guy one time as a YMCA of all places which is now officially the Y, Inc. They took the Young Men's Christian Association out of the name. And this guy was GD this, GD that, echoing through the locker room. I went up to him one day looking for a fight, I guess. I said, what's your name? What's it to you? Just what's your name? John. Okay. How would you feel if you thought a voice in the heavens was thundering, damn John, as often as you yell GD? We were never buddies. He toned it down a little when he knew I was in the locker room just because he didn't want me to ask a question again. I said, yeah, how would you feel if God took your name the way you're taking his? He didn't like it. Not at all. It's gotten so casual in our culture, and I won't ask for a show of hands. It's always embarrassing. How many of you ever typed in a text or said out loud, OMG? And think about what it means. Do you think about what it means? I mean, a pumpkin festival here in town is called Oh My Gourd as a play on it, isn't it? It slips in that insidiously. I read a book by a, a Jewish psychotherapist. Everywhere the name of God was mentioned, it was G-D. They won't even write it. If you're reading a Hebrew Bible, which is dizzying anyway, because it's right to left in weird letters, where you would have the name of God, there's two little tiny letters Donna read about an iota or a dot. In Hebrew, an iota is the tiniest stroke of a pen. It's their short eye sound. It's just a blip. 
Well, the other letter in Hebrew is called a, a, a tittle or a, or a dot. That's a little tiny yod. It means finger. It's that small. And the two yods together, they pronounce Adonai, Lord. When you read your Old Testament, if you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that's a substitute for the sacred name of God that we don't know how to pronounce anymore. Only the high priest knew how on the Day of Atonement in the temple, and the temple doesn't exist, so we don't know. We're not supposed to anyway. To keep the name of God sacred and not profane it, not to blaspheme. And it creeps into the culture around us so casually and so easily. I'd like to say that the, the little koi fish swimming in a dirty rice paddy doesn't know how dirty the water is because he lives in it but he absorbs it. We as Christians can do that. Sometimes in our daily lives, we live in a dirty puddle. Try not to soak it in too hard. And that's just an easy one. Those are the only three about God. Because the fourth one is for us too. And God, the fourth is the two-way commandment, isn't it? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy to God. Gather to hear his word Seek his attention in prayer. Sing his praise in song. By the way, when they founded the tabernacle in the wilderness, one of the first things they did was designate a whole clan of singers. And a whole family was the choir. An extended clan. It was great. And the musicians that went with it. But the seventh day, to be kept holy to the Lord. That means I've got to go to church. Well, it also means that for the first time in recorded history, there's a rhythm to the world. A rhythm of the, the very holy number of seven, which means the seventh day, you can't even make your donkey work, let alone the servants in your household. We don't have those anymore, but they did. The sojourner. That means the, the traveler in your midst. In the day of George Washington, he was in a hurry to get to a meeting. He was riding through a New England town and a man stopped him in the middle of the street, and that man was called the tithing man. The tithing man used to attend worship with a great big long wooden pole with a little squirrel tail or a feather on one end of it. I know a church that actually officially had one, but they don't use it anymore. And if a lady was falling asleep during a sermon, they'd reach out and tickle her ear with that, that squirrel tail and wake her up during a sermon. The other one had a wooden knob on it that was for the men who fell asleep during the sermon. We didn't get good treatment, okay? Well, the tithing man also enforced, enforced the Sabbath rules. And George Washington was in a hurry to meet. He was riding through a town on the Sabbath. And he gets stopped by the tithing man. Whither goest thou, sir? Or something like that. And Washington had to explain himself and prove who he was before he could continue and prove it was important enough. He was riding on the Sabbath. Imagine if we did that in New England towns now. Wow. But that was a, a, a parish official with the power to stop you on the town streets back at that time. It's a day for us. A break. Can you imagine not having a weekend? Not a day? Toil, 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 toil. Especially if you're not the boss. And you don't get a break. Vacation unheard of. No rhythm of, oh, just got to make it till Friday. Okay, in this case, Saturday. But 
Just got to make it through six days. God bless you. And that's a gift. So the fourth is cuts both ways. That's for God and for us. People have asked me about the fifth over the decades, sometimes in great pain. Honor your father and your mother. When we who are fathers and mothers do our best to carry out that God-given responsibility with all the love and the care and the good household rules that the youngins mentioned to us a little bit ago, makes it easy to honor father and mother. But people have talked to me and said, how do you honor someone who abused me, abandoned me? Worse, I prayed to be abandoned because of the way I was treated. And Paul cites this one specially, that your days may be long. It's the first commandment with a promise attached. And all I can say is that there's plenty of scripture that says we as fathers and mothers need to model the Lord's parenting in how we take care of children. And there's plenty of that spelled out in scripture for us. Comfort and encourage someone who says, I can't do number five. Remind them how much their heavenly father, who's also pictured as a mother hen, by the way, in the Old Testament, loves them, cares for them. And a rather earthy way I have of putting it is in any relationship, if there's going to be a jerk, don't be the jerk. So do your best as a son or daughter to give the honor you can to the role of father and mother. There's a line in the band of brothers when the major says, hey, captain, you salute the rank. Well, honor the position to the best of your heartfelt ability even if the mother or father has fallen short of the God-given standard that goes with it. And give that comfort to people, please. You, you know them too. They need comfort. They need support. They need reminded of, of being worthy of great love. You shall not murder. I had a, a woman of a different, slightly different faith in Germany cleaning lady in my office got after me one day and she says, how can, you, how can you be a soldier and claim to be a Christian? She was a little older than I am and I said, well, you've seen what a godless army looks like and she kind of went quiet. And much arguing, how can you be a soldier? says, thou shalt not kill. It doesn't say that. Hate to mince words. The word used here is premeditated murder as we would describe it in the law. The deliberate unlawful taking of a human life. It also, in the Hebrew wording of it, even in that day, included negligent homicide, as it's called. Whatever form that takes, and several just came into your minds, where through carelessness, you show a disregard for human life. So anything that willfully or carelessly shows taking the value of a human life casually or lightly is against one of the basic 10. When it's protecting life and liberty of others, that's why some of us, and I'm not the only former soldier or service person in here, I know that. So, but to take human life lightly in our daily actions is not to happen.
You shall not commit adultery. How many ways does that break relationships and hearts? Well, we don't pay attention to that one. Now, these sound grim. Please remember that we are also promised all the way back to God's self-introduction to Moses years before this and, and in our Lord Jesus Christ, how much grace and mercy there is. Thank God, literally thank God that none of these are unforgivable. Or we might as well just go to coffee hour and forget it and say amen and quit. That's not the case. Thank God. You shall not steal. It, it, it breaks relationship, violates safety, violates confidence if, if you gain things by taking them. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I'm not sure in some circles in this country if that's even embarrassing if you get caught at it anymore. Don't lie. Because the sanctity of God's earthly courts under Moses' supervision at the time depended on the community judging things, two or more witnesses telling the truth. And if they connive to lie, justice, a person's freedom, perhaps even a person's life, it's forfeit. Bearing false witness can even kill. Then you shall not covet, and he'll list all kinds of things, so I guess we'll sum up, don't covet anything belong to somebody else. Is that easier? What's the big deal there, Pastor? Just jealousy, right? Why can't I want a big boat or a woman as beautiful as my neighbor's wife or the money or whatever, prestige? What does that lead to? What does covetousness lead to if we fold back into the other nine? Let's see. Uh, adultery, theft, lying, Extortion, cheating business dealings, uh, breaking of relationships and adultery, and even the, the devaluing of human life to the point of murder. All out of the tenth one. The tenth one almost is a, is a recap of don't be tempted into or led into some of the others. Some sermons make everybody in here have their eyes wide open and looking at me grimly. Please remember, in all these things, the grace and mercy that I already mentioned. None of these are unforgivable. By humans, some of these are tough. Yes. In God is nothing impossible. Real quick note, if somebody says, I'm not a Christian because it's full of thou shalt nots. The whole Bible is thou shalt nots. Think about how big the book would have to be, how big the tablets would have to be if it listed everything that we are to do instead of just the few we're not to do. Turn it the other way around. I have a library up here instead of one book. It's easy what we're supposed to do. Love the Lord your God with all you are, all you have and all you do, and your neighbor is yourself. Done. So to do is your, well, it's not easy. It's just easier to recite. Easier to remember. Look at Leviticus and Deuteronomy when you're really, really bored at the number of different ways you can kill a goat or a pigeon trying to tell you how to do things. Even in Eden, God only gave one rule and it was a thou shalt not. 
Couldn't hang on to that one, but he only gave us one. Don't eat, don't eat off of that tree. Everything else is fine. So someone says, it's full of thou shalt nots. No, there's only a few thou shalt nots. And two very easy things to remember to do. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen and amen. Thank you for having joined us for First Word from First Church. We pray that God has blessed you in some way, in his way, through the message that we have just shared with you. Please join us again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen and amen.